Uh, you ready to start? Yeah, let's go, buddy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. We have an excellent, excellent guest on the podcast today. Today, I'm with Gianni Suba. He's one half of the voice of One Lumpini. He's a pro MMA fighter, former number one contender in one championship, pioneer in the Malaysian MMA scene, and we're coming at you from a hotel in Bangkok. Gianni, welcome to the podcast. What's Thank up, dude? Thank you, man. Thank you. Pioneer always like, makes me feel old. You're a pioneer, man. But you're a young I suppose, pioneer. I suppose, yeah, I suppose. How old are you now? I just turned 30 in December. Oh, not just, I guess I'm already way past halfway. Yeah, it I'm flies 30, by. About to turn 31 in uh, December, actually, yeah. Right on. Well, you've been, I think you said you've been told me the other week that you've been with one championship for like 10 years now. Since I was 19, 2012. So that kind of makes you a pioneer. Because back in those days. Mm, I guess, I guess. So just for you listeners to know, Gianni and I have kind of rolled in the similar circles, but like on the periphery of each other for a little while now. Because uh, when I worked in Malaysia at Clinch, that was a gym that you trained at. So we were your brother, Keanu, you, Ev Ting, you guys would all come by and you started from there and you started traveling. And so we've always been kind of in the same circles, but we hadn't really got to hang out much. Yeah. But with the Lumpini shows, we've been chatting every week and everything. And yeah. it's really good to get to do this and sit down and have a hey, podcast with on, you. Man. It's an honor. It's an honor. You're an OG, bro. Bro, you know what I was just thinking about? When I talk about pioneers, my brother was the first ever sanctioned professional bout in Malaysia. Really? He fought AJ. I don't know if you know AJ. AJ Pyro fought for one back in the day. Way back. Mitch fought him, actually. Oh, really? But my brother fought him when he was 16. He got paid like, I don't know, like 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the first ever sanctioned fight in Malaysia. So then you are pioneers. You are OGs. You're I suppose. Just, I you're suppose. still in your 30s, though. Yeah, so, yeah. But in terms of like mixed martial arts taking off in Southeast Asia, with, of course, the rise of one being the biggest thing, and then you're 10 years in, what, what show did you make your pro debut in? Six. Six. So one championship, six or whatever. Yeah. whatever they, do you remember no, they, no, no, wait. It was six or nine. Less than 10, anyways. It was six or nine. It was, it's been a while. Yeah, so you've been with the company for so long. And now you, along with uh, Mitch Chilson, are doing the, the commentary mm -hmm. for Lumpini. And uh, I just got to ask, I'm sure the listeners would love to know, like, dude, what's it like to be able to sit there and call the fights? I mean, mm -hmm. the Muay Thai fights in particular are just fucking crazy every yeah. time. Like, every single time there's wars, tons of knockouts, small four-ounce gloves, and it's really sort of paving the, the new way of Muay Thai in Thailand. Yeah. It's a completely new thing. It's never been done before. And, uh, you know, you get to call these fights every week, man. What's that like? It's insane, man, to get the opportunity to do it, especially um, with Mitch, who's, who's been in the game for a minute. And he's been, like, really guiding me through commentating. I've been doing commentating for a while now. I did the One Warrior Series for Rich Franklin. I did that One Hero Series, the one they did in China. So I've done, like, over 20 shows. I did, like, two. I did the couple one shows as well. But this was really, like, a every week thing. Yeah, this is a this is a good gig. But in terms of the fight, man, yeah, the fights are crazy. I think it's because um, when you look at the level of Muay Thai in Thailand, it's at a really high level, right? It's cultural. It's like it's historic for them. And man, even when you look at the stories where we get to interview these guys every week, a lot of them start fighting in like seven, eight years old. It's it's out of necessity, right? They're fighting to feed their families, fighting to help their families, like get a better life. So by the time they get to like 17, 18, 19, 20, they all have like 100 fights, 150 fights, 200 fights, and the level is like so, imagine a, like an MMA fighter having 200 fights, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that, that's the level that these guys are fighting at. And what one is bringing in is, um, one Lumpini, one Friday fights is, 
and giving them an opportunity to earn these bonuses, right? Which is ten thousand dollars and three hundred fifty thousand baht. And when we speak to them about that, they're saying this is like life changing money, right? This is obviously this is just a bonus, and and the big thing is the contract worth a hundred thousand US dollars. Yeah, cumulative, cumulatively. What's the word? Cumulatively. Accumulatively. That's the word. That's, that's, you know what I mean. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, but that that's. That's the end of the rainbow, right? Yeah, that's more yeah, money than they would ever get paid ever. on any of these other shows. Well, even with just the bonus, right? They're fighting, they're literally fighting for their lives. And I think yeah. that's what has made the show so special is these guys coming in hungry, really hungry to take that next step, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's a special to be a, a part of it. It's, you, you've seen it yourself. Oh, it's amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's crazy. And I think the combination of just the fact that they're in small gloves, the fact that these bonuses are mm -hmm. so much more than they would have ever made in like, 50 fights, 100 fights. Yeah. So, dude, I don't know what the difference in like the knockout rate between like Lumpini and the other shows at Lumpini, but I would guess it would be like at least 30 to 40% higher. It's high. I mean, there's always so many finishes. It's so fucking exciting because they're fighting for so much. Yeah. And the pay scale when they get those bonuses is so much higher. It's insane. It's than they insane. would get without it. Like uh, one big example I always go back to, obviously when you, when you, Look past the superstars like Rotang, Tao and Chai, these guys are like super like guys that are super bond even, right? They have their own gyms now, multiple houses, right? They're living like celebrities and like rightfully so, right? Because they've earned it. They're literally the best guys in the world. But like Sexan, who is like a veteran of the sport, yeah. he's like 33 years old, which is pretty young in, in terms of like MMA. But He's an animal. But in Thailand, that's old, right? Yeah. You're supposed to be done. And, and he was like, had some multiple fight of the year awards, but... At the end of his career, didn't have much. Yeah, like, was still struggling and didn't know how to like provide for his family past fighting because that's all he knew. Yeah, came to one variety of fights, and since Ken here has made up the three million baht, which is like I don't know what three million baht is. Three hundred thousand. Uh, like that. Yeah, something like that. A lot of money, basically. Yeah. But yeah. that's life changing money for him, right? That's like saved towards like the education of his kids in the future. Yeah. Like, this is such, and everybody wants to get there. And his fights are wars. Like, they're wars, so fucking man. entertaining. Yeah, I mean, he's still got those in the gas tank. Yeah. That's one of the other great things about Lupini is some of these guys who are legends that nobody really knows of mm -hmm. outside of Thailand or, like, really dedicated Muay Thai fans, yeah. they're starting to get these guys in their 30s, like Nongo, Same, Sexon, these guys that most people thought were done but are, like, legends in Muay Thai are finally getting a chance to showcase themselves to, like, a global audience, and you're starting to build... Mm -hmm superstars out of this i mean the fact that the whole production is in english that you and mitch are doing it it's a really great production quality it's fucking free mm -hmm. on youtube for anybody to see you guys can give the background on like hey these guys are multiple time lupini champions these guys are fighter of the years these guys have had this is their third time mm -hmm. fighting like you just miss so much context yeah when you're trying to find this stuff as a Muay Thai fan before one mm -hmm. like now you can go back you can watch these fights you guys tell a great backstory it looks fucking amazing small gloves I mean, years down the line, this is the best Muay Thai product that there is, mm -hmm. especially as a foreigner. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is, right? Because the Thais in Thailand or, or Muay Thai um, enthusiasts, they know these guys. Yeah. But the global fans who don't know much about Muay Thai, don't know much about the different styles of Muay Thai, for example. And right now you've heard like the Muay Kap, Muay Femur, Muay Bu, Muay Buk, so many yeah. different styles, Muay Thai, like all of one is for a kicker, one's for an elbow guy. One's it's a so great guy. that you guys say that too. Yeah, like it's been a learning experience for me, especially right because I know about MMA right? and I've been watching boxing, kickboxing since I was a kid. But Muay Thai, in its pure form, I would say like getting to one Friday fights was. I actually I've always been a fan of Muay Thai. Living in Thailand for two years, I was able to like train.
and watch the fights, the local fights there, but Lumpini was always like the pinnacle, right? Yeah. And you say like, oh, that guy's a Lumpini champ. It's like, oh, damn, really? Lumpini champ. Even when you were a kid, right, you knew that was like the, the top, right? Yeah, when I first started training in Canada, that was always the one everybody talked about. And then when I moved to Singapore and started training with Thais, it was always like Lumpini was always considered the pinnacle mm -hmm. and the tip of the spear. It was like this mythical place yeah, exactly, that I'd heard yeah, about exactly, like in yeah. the fucking, like it was like in the ether, yeah. but just this mythical place that I know exists, but there's no way I'd ever like be there. Yeah. And then I remember the first show, I was like, this is fucking crazy. I can't yeah. believe I'm at Lumpini Stadium same, right yeah, now. Same. I got, so I got called in to commentate after the show number three for One Friday Fights, right? And... I mean, I always knew I could do a good job, obviously. I, hadn't, I, didn't, I wasn't able to commentate because COVID happened. Yeah. So there was like a period of like two years, two and a half years where I, was, where I wasn't commentating. But I had just um, co-founded a gym in Bali. So I was a head coach just for like a bunch of like high-level guys. And I think that experience running a whole team of business and like coaching gave me so much more experience coming back into it. So when I came back to it, show number three, it was the best show I ever done. And I haven't done it for two and a half years. Like, damn, I think it was just a, a combination of like experience and and maturity. I'm getting older as well, right? And you're getting a lot of reps. Sport. Yeah, reps is especially. Right? Bro, we were talking about this after the fights a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how many shows have you done? This what is will it, 24? Uh, this 25 now? I will be 22 now. Yeah, so I mean, you, you know, you're fairly new to commentary. You've done it obviously before, but most major MMA promotions will only do like a show a month, maybe mm -hmm. the big ones. And the fact that you're getting like four, three, four in a month. It's insane. Yeah. But you can see the quality improving. Like you and Mitch are getting mm -hmm. your chemistry. Like the quality of the product is just getting better and better uh, as it continues to go on. I mean, I remember being there for like the first show I did was the second show. Mm -hmm. And everybody still trying to figure everything yeah, out. Yeah, it's like yeah. only the second show. But now it's humming. Yeah, exactly. Now you got like a core group of guys. You're, you guys, you know how the show goes, the flow and the, the dynamic, the chemistry between everybody. It, it's fun, right? It's, it's definitely a fun group to work with, especially, uh, you know, like the, the, the staff, from the judging to the floor managers. Everybody's been, like, so cool. and It feels like a family. I, I always tell people, man, like, one is, like, it's like going back to school, right? You don't, you don't see them for, like, a couple months and then yeah. you go back. It's like, oh, what's up, man? How's, yeah, how's exactly. your summer, right? Like, it feels like, feels like school because you're all doing the same thing, man. You, we all, like, are part of, like, martial arts or... You're not taking pictures of martial arts, telling a story about martial arts, you're teaching martial arts, you know what I mean? So it's cool, man, to be a part of this this whole production. Yeah, and you're not, I don't think you're joking about that either. Like, it sounds a little bit cliche, but honestly, dude, when I first started working at One, it was the first, like, corporate like company that I've worked for yeah. in years. Because mm -hmm. I was a teacher in my, like, mid-20s, mm -hmm. and then when I started mm -hmm. doing uh, jujitsu, teaching MMA and everything, and now I have my own gym, and it's, I've been running like that for years, so I haven't, like, had a boss or been in, like, a corporate... Yeah sort of environment uh, for years. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, fuck, I don't know these people. This is awesome, but you don't really know anybody. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in particular, the Lumpini crew, like when I come here, it's like seeing everybody's so friendly. Everybody's so nice. They're all huge martial arts fans. There's like people coming in that are like coming from Australia yeah. and coming from Europe. Yeah, and crazy, man. Singapore, all over the place just to get together and like put on a dope show. And the whole crew is just so fucking cool. Yeah. That's why I like doing the podcast with you. I was like, fuck yeah, let me run out some more too. Because you mentioned Rob. Yeah, bro. Rob, Rob is, Cox is one of the executives. The man. Yeah, he's the man. And he's he used a, to actually do commentary for Lumpini Stadium, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, journalist for a long time. If you look at a lot of early, like Muay Thai, English Muay Thai documentaries, it was Rob, man. Like Rob yeah. like, put him out there, like telling the story about like Muay Thai. It was Bokao, Senchai. Um, what's the guy's name? Was it... um? 
knockout guy. I mean, Apiwara, I could be getting his name wrong. Back in the Wachara, I killed some of the gym. Like, it was all like all these gy gyms, right? Like, you see the old school, like, tires and, yeah. and like, the the country gyms. It's, it's cool, man. Like, he's got so much knowledge into it. I, I, I spoke to him, like, briefly. We had, like, a 40-minute conversation. It wasn't that brief, actually. <laughs> so, like, he, he was telling me the stories about, like, promote promoters and, like, the gamblers and the stadiums and the... the politics of it all right it's like bro it's such a crazy little network and, and web yeah but it's important to to the growth of everything right yeah it's interesting too because he's been there for both phases of Lumpini. like he worked at the old stadium i think yeah, if i'm yeah. not mistaken and now he's a journalist North. yeah so yeah rob cox is one of our um is one, one of the executives at one and he does a lot he speaks thai which is cool fluent yeah, yeah. yeah. and so you were mentioning we'll see if we can get rob on the podcast but that's one of the great things now we're in the 20th show kind of know everybody mm -hmm. and if I can get guys like you and Rob on the podcast yeah. and sort of get out like in a casual long form conversation some of the stories is such an interesting perspective yeah. for all of the people that meet up here yeah Timo as well man if we can get Timo on the show I'm sure Timo has some crazy oh, yeah. stories I'll, I'll get them all I mean yeah. if they're willing oh my goodness if that they're willing be, I'll do it man that would be like insane I thought yeah again yeah, it would be, it'd be cool. Yeah, well, thank you for doing this one, man. And yeah, guys, we're sorry if the audio is a little bit shit. This is the first time we've done it. Yeah. This is the first time we've done a podcast in the hotel room, and we're just using the, the iPhone mics. So in the future, hopefully, the production quality will be a little bit higher. Yeah, come on. Look forward to it. But I also want to talk I also want to talk to Gianni about your sort of uh, career as a fighter as well, because how many fights have you had in one? Um, 10, 11? 12. 12 fights. 12 fights, one championship, yeah. Was your first fight in... In one? My first professional fight was in one. Yeah. So I made my pro debut in one championship. I only ever had one amateur fight and it was in a it was in a gym. And it was a Kung Fu seminar at the time. Um, and there was probably like 30 people in there. Wait, there was a Kung Fu seminar going Kung on Fu at the Sem same time as you? No, no, it was, it was after, after the fight. And I remember oh. so clearly, bro, so. Like the Kung Fu guy, I forgot his name, not important, right? But super cocky, like... His hands are on the side, like, you know, like, who are these chumps over here, like, fighting, you know what I mean? Like, who is this guy, right? Yeah. I can't remember the, the Kung Fu guy's name, but still, like, you know what I mean? Just be humble. Like, yeah. it always, like, comes back to, like, martial arts and, like, how are you going to be a, a Kung Fu master or, or a professor of anything? And, like, you're supposed to bring, like, humility. I don't know why that like, sticks out so much in my mind, not more than the fight itself, as this Kung Fu guy cross legs, like, leaning, like, like he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, bro. I don't give a fight another dude, you know what I mean? Like, just at least cheer, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I had I had my only one amateur fight. I was in the gym full of 30 people. My brother was there. And I was 66 kilos at the time. And the way I got this fight was I was going to school in Hawaii. After this, uh, I came back for summer. At the time, I was going to school in America, right? I was, born in, I was born in Hawaii. And I never got to go back to Hawaii since I left at three or four. So I wanted to go back to school in Hawaii, right? That's university. So after high school, I came back to Malaysia. I'd been training pretty consistently since I was uh, in MMA, since I was like 16, I'd say. And I started martial arts when I was nine years old, doing Taekwondo and all that stuff. I never stopped. So when I was, I think I was 18 at the time, they had this, I messaged uh, this gym. I was like, hey, I want to have a fight. Do you have anyone for me? And they sent me a list, right? It was like, they had this little tournament. I forgot what it was called. And it was, uh, they had this tournament and there was champions, right? And they sent me a list of the champions. And there was this guy, he was 84 kilos, he was big. 
It's like, I don't want to fight that guy. 84 kilos? 84 kilos. But obviously not like I would. Didn't I would, you fight at like 58 or 57, 57 kilos? 57 yeah. kilos. It doesn't make sense, bro. I was 18 at the time. I thought I was the guy, right? I was 66 kilos. <laughs> like, I want to fight that guy. The biggest guy. <laughs> the biggest so I guy. Fight this big dude, man. Like, Wait, what was the weight difference? Oh, I was 66. He was fighting at 84. 20 kilo difference? Close to, right? Yeah, yeah close to. And then in my head, I was the man, right? And I, I had no concept of like. A training camp, I was just doing sprints, hitting pads, and like, yeah, training with my brother. Maybe spar. I don't even know if I even sparred that much, but no camp, right? Yeah. Just sprinting. And I thought, I'm like, oh, I'm in shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get in there, it's my first ever real fight. I have had like taekwondo and wrestling experience. This was amateur MMA, so this you're was wearing amateur, shin, shin, pads. shin pads and the, the shooter gloves. But when I got in there, bro, I, I was scared, man. Like, Fuck yeah. yeah, I was scared. I remember like. I think the whole fight, I probably landed two punches. But immediately, this fucking guy kicked me really hard. I was like, fuck it, I'm taking him down. Yeah. <laughs> I took him down. I, 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 I ended up winning by submission in the third round, but I was so tired. I remember I couldn't even celebrate, bro. It was like adrenaline and everything, bro. I was like, I wouldn't, couldn't even like celebrate. I was like, barely like passing out. But that was my only ever amateur fight. And after that, I went to school in Hawaii. And I was training consistently at this point but I, I couldn't I wasn't able to train when I got to Hawaii because I got a scholarship for my first semester and I had to get iron work right because yeah I had to pay for school myself yeah and I obviously was lucky to get a job in, um, in Hawaii as a funny enough I worked at the Polynesian Cultural Center oh yeah yeah and I there's two two options right I was at the job center every day for seven seven days needed to get a job and then the seven days like oh yeah we got an opening there's two options you want to be a dishwasher or you want to be a dancer at the polynesian cultural center dishwasher or dancer dishwasher or dancer those bro. are your options i get the interview as a tahitian lady um, oh my god just bring back so many memories i get to the village right it's a it's a cultural center right so you you're displaying and you're demonstrating all different cultures of uh Polynesia, there's Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, uh, Tahiti, what else was there? I think that was, that was Hawaii, obviously, the, the main ones, right? And I get there and the station lady asked me, do you know how to dance? I mean, not really. You know how to play the drums? Said, not really, but I'm willing to learn. If you show me, I'll learn. Said, All right, come back tomorrow. So I got the job, right? So I was able to do that job, but I couldn't train because the closest gym was and Hawaii has a big fighting culture as well, right? Yeah. And I was super excited to be able to train in Hawaii. But with school and work, the closest gym was an hour and a half away by bus. I just didn't have the chance to, yeah. man. So I just I just lifted weights for majority of the year. And then at the time, my brother was back in Malaysia because my, my cousin who passed away at the time he was still alive. He was really sick. So my brother was in Malaysia. He was training at the... OG Moifin. You know Moifin? You remember yeah. Moifin was the first. Polina. Yeah. Polina. Polina was the first American wrestling coach, I believe, in Malaysia, right? At 18, 19 years old, right? He lands in Malaysia. And then my brother at the time was like training there with those teams, bro, like OG guys. Like, um, That's Eric what I'm Kelly. talking about, pioneership. Right? Yeah, yeah. Eric Kelly, right? Eric yeah. Kelly was like OG, right? Eric Kelly, I think, um, Arnold Lapont. Um, yeah. Who else was there? When did Ev come in? Ev Ting come in and start training? So Ev was Ev was a little bit later. Yeah. Ev was clinch days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. this is like this before is the beginning. That. Yeah. Yeah. This is before that, and then my brother had an opportunity to get this contract with them. Again, OG days, bro. Going yeah. back there. You remember there? There. 
Dare. Oh yeah, the promotion. Oh, dare. OG, OG, right? Yeah, I do remember Dare. School. Yeah, that's old school. And they wanted to sign my brother. My brother was like maybe seventeen at the time. Seventeen. Yeah, and I was like, oh shit! You know, my <laughs> brother got this contract, and that was the one that kicked it off for me. Like, bro, I was in school at the time. That's when oh, you were like, I gotta make this a priority. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try, man. Because like, all I wanted to do in my life was at least try. I didn't know I was gonna be a professional fighter. I didn't know I was gonna make a career. All I know is I wanted to try, right? Isn't it crazy how you go from one place, like, just, you're in Hawaii studying, yeah, wanting to yeah. train, fast forward 10 years, yeah. and you're like, crazy, what a man. fucking crazy ride. Crazy, but you know? I, I think I think the one big thing you gotta always, for me, like, when I look back at it now, like, imagine if I didn't take that risk, imagine if I, yeah. I stayed in school doing something that, yeah, it made my parents happy, or it made the people around me happy, you know what I mean, but I, I never... It was too strong, like this yeah. this pull, you know the what pool. I mean? Like, I had to try it. And you bet on yourself. That's I bet thing. on myself, right? That's the yeah. thing. Like, you got to bet on, you, bro, like, especially now with, like, opening a new business. I've had the opportunity to open one. Now I have the opportunity to restart and open another one. And so it's about having balls, right? Like, everybody, yeah. everybody's the same. I don't think anybody's special, right? It's about people that have the balls to do it and, and then executing it at that's the end of the day, right? You, you gotta be able to risk the failure of something. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna try something, there's an inherent risk of yeah. failure that some people won't yeah. accept. Yeah. So they'll stay in that That's comfortable true. lane. But yeah, you get, I mean, with fighters, with people that kind of have that disposition, that, yeah. that, it's a risk it all profession. Like you're literally yeah. risking your health, risking getting time. embarrassed yeah. in front of everybody oh, that you know, like fucking physically harmed. Like it's so much pressure. So, the people that have a disposition to do that are typically the type of people who are willing to bet on themselves, mm -hmm. you know. And I think um, that's why, like, I really connected with Bali. I'm getting on a, off on a tangent, but it's because, like, there's so many people that... Like, like, Bali is such a, like an artistic place, right? There's, like, people that work there as artists, the people that work there as, like, fashion designers, the people that work there as um, surfers, right? There's all people that bet on themselves, like you said, right? Yeah. And I think I, I really connect with people there because... I understand it, right? Like you, you have to give everything up. You had to at one point, bro, have nothing. Yeah. And still do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I bro, I hadn't five fights into one championship, I had my friends come up, so when are you gonna get a real job? Yeah. And this is like one of the biggest promotions at the world. I was five fights in, I was doing well. If I like only lost one fight, it's four and one. I was up and coming, right? And yeah. I still had people tell me, yo, when are you gonna get a real job? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, damn, like, you don't understand, right? You know like, this party's gonna end at some point. Yeah, but it you don't- have to. Yeah, you no, know, that's, the, that's the thing, right? But I would willingly do it again and again because yeah. that's what I wanna do. Versus you, like you, you, your mom and dad paid for your school, right? Or for example, right? Someone paid for your school and why do you do what you do? I don't know, because because there was the only option. Yeah. Right. What do you enjoy? What you do? I, I, that, that's so important. I don't know. Too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. bro. Like, nah. Fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, I only want to do. No. Nah, obviously, sometimes you got to do things they don't like to do. That's normal. It's part of life. But yeah. More majority of the time, you want to spend your time doing what you enjoy, what you're passionate about, right? So, I was able to do that through fighting and. Yeah, dude. Into Hawaii, I, I made that leap. I, I left school, and I remember telling my mom at the time, like, hey, yeah. She's like, my mom, I'm not from a real traditional Asian family. My mom, my dad, like, traveled the world, and they're very, you know, they they, weren't, they didn't really put too many uh, limits on us. They're very, very um, encouraging. Yeah. And I remember, like, I, I think I've told a story on this to Justin before. Are you remember Justin from Rituals? Justin. Sadel, Black Belt under Alabo. And is it, he's in Bali? He's in Bali. He's no, in Rituals Jiu-Jitsu. He's, he's a good dude, super smart guy. 
very, very good coach. Um, I told the story, right? I was 14, 15 at the time going to school in Malaysia, and I was always into sports, right? I loved basketball at the time, and I was always, after school, my mom would pick me up late from school because she had to work. It's like, whatever, I'll just play basketball by yeah. myself in the heat. Just throw, shoot, 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 shoot. And then this this teacher comes up to me, pulls me into the room, brings my mom, is like, look, my son's spending too much time in uh, in sports. Is you think I think he should, you know, try to redirect his energy into into studying more, you know, try to try to go to university, like, get a good, good education, get a good job, like, you know, because what he's gonna do? You think he's gonna be a professional athlete? Yeah. And my mom said, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. My mom said, why not? I was like, damn. Like my mom usually is like pretty reserved but when, when she said like all right it gave me the confidence you know what i mean and that, that was the moment you. yeah and i was like bro wow. these are people that support me you know what yeah. i mean and i know no matter what i do right because in the day when, when you go back to even life now right outside of fighting and no matter what industry you're in like it's the people around you that really matters right the people that are really behind you that's that's what really matters it doesn't really i don't give a fuck about what people think about me you know what i mean i don't really care about if you think I'm an idiot or for, you think my commentary is dumb or you think like, <laughs> you think I don't know how to fight, I don't give a fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just going to do my thing and keep get trying to get better at it, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the people that care about me yeah. will support me no matter what, right? And I think that's came through that support group and like fighting and, and believing, like betting on yourself, man. That's, that's what like fighting has taught me, I think, and like, carrying on to other things. Dude, you... Well, you mentioned the sort of like the, the freedom that you get when you can actually be yourself and mm -hmm. do the shit that you want to do. Yeah. I remember like three years ago, for the first time in my life, I felt free. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I was like making money. It wasn't because of... When you opened up the business? It was because for the first time in my entire life, I got paid to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't have a boss telling me what to do. I don't have anybody breathing down my neck. I don't have to go here and here and have to listen to this, any of this stuff. Like I'm getting paid to do what I would be doing, whether or not anybody paid me at all. Yeah. And fuck, I, so I started the podcast at the same time, opened up the gym, because I'm like, what would I want to do with my life? If I could mm -hmm. just do whatever I wanted to do, what would it be doing? It would be podcasting, training, and then being in fucking a judge at one, right? So like literally, yeah, I probably couldn't draw it up go. any better. And the fact that I realized one day, it's just such a weight off your shoulders when you can do the things that you want to do throughout your day. Yeah. But it still took 10 years of eating mm -hmm. shit yeah. to get there. I mean, I started off teaching only the kids classes, like when I was a purple belt, right? Just five-year-olds and four-year-olds. And I worked, and I did that for years. There's just little kids running around and I'm just like, trying and working it up and working it. So I went through that phase of like, it's work, but you're looking forward to goal. And after 10 years of that, being able to actually be like, man, the fact that I get to do what I want with my day is just such a gift, it's such a weight off the soul when you don't have to like go to this job that you don't want to do to mm -hmm. get a paycheck and just live in this life that's mm -hmm. like whatever when you can actually build that for yourself fuck it's just ha huh, yeah you can breathe yeah you know what i mean 100 percent. but the big the big lesson here is like the 10 years of like fucking doing shit that you don't want to do yeah it's like the fucking years that you have nothing gotta pay like, your dues you have to pay your dues right like you don't get here because you had one month of hardship and you're like ah I'm past that one month, but now I get to do what I do. It was 10 years, right? Like you said, and for me, it was the same, right? Me and my brother, I remember at one point, like, again, like multiple fights into one championship. Not much money, bro. And yeah. as we were eating the same meal. Especially in those days. Dinner. I mean, just starting up. Right? Yeah, bro. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Every day, the same meal for a whole camp. And I was like, bro, 
did it ever deter you from doing what you want to do? No, man. You know what I mean? Like, and I get, I get to it now where like, you know, I have the freedom to do what I like to do, right? But it also came from that sacrifice and doing the hard stuff, that doing the things you don't like to do. I think too many people now, like, there's this one gift always, right? It's a, it's a picture of uh, these two people in a, in a diamond mine, right? And they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And one guy gets so close to the diamonds that he gives up, he stops. But the guy on top, he doesn't stop. He keeps going and going and going and going. It takes longer, but he eventually gets to the diamonds, right? Yeah. I think the metaphor is like, this is what it is, right? You gotta like trust it, man. You gotta trust that you have patience, have perseverance, determination to get what you want to get, and then oh, everything, everything will come. Yeah, but it's also that that inherent risk comes in of like, mm -hmm. you, but at some point you're gonna have to bet on yourself. Yeah, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy because you have to forego the like traditional job route. You have to forego mm -hmm. the security that you get from like, you know, working for wherever the fuck and. Yeah, it's, it's a risky game, but that's why it's cool to see people like you. And when you have a gathering of all the people, like all the people that do Limpini, for example, or all the people that do the one prime shows, the fact that you're getting, you know, Olivier's coming from yeah, France, and Herb. you got every Herb's coming in, yeah. and you're here, Mitch's coming here, people being from Singapore, mm -hmm. and we're all just coming in for the love of the fight game. Yeah. And you get to just watch these awesome fights. I mean, there's great fights tonight. You're doing the one Lupini, and then in the morning is the it's prime show. show. Superlek, my favorite fighter, yeah, is fighting in the main event. That's gonna be Gary Tonin is fighting. That's a great fight too. That yeah. card is insane, man. That yeah. card's insane. I'm I'm interested to see, man, because Gasanov is tough, but he's a Dagestani wrestler, right? Yeah. A lot of Dagestani wrestlers struggle against really good jujitsu guys, right? Guys that will threaten them when they get to the ground. And I think the biggest factor will be who does better when they get to the ground. Can yeah. Gary Tonin put him in like positions where he threatens him? He's definitely good enough to do it, but MMA is such a different game. Yeah. Like, like you saw, like he got knocked out by uh, Tandi, Tandi, right? You go for the leg, you give yourself open, bang. And what a what a sniper of a shot, too. Crazy. I mean, it's tough to get it he that got, precise. He's got mad power, yeah, though, you know. There's he's a whip to that. He's a violent punches. motherfucker, man. He's yeah. tough. They're going to do a rematch soon. Tankai and uh Oh, is that Tandi? what they're doing? Yeah. And then maybe if, if Gary wins or the Russian guy wins, would fight whoever wins that fight. Yeah, but you see Martin Gaines being like, uh, they, they both think they're going to get a title shot, but they got to get past me first. Yeah. I, I, he I just respect too. Yeah. Martin just resigned, He right? did, he did. He nice. deserves it, man. I was speaking to him a little bit about like, his frustrations, you know, just trying to get like what he's, he believes he's worth and I agree with him. You know, yeah. bro, he's, he's the two guy who's been a phase two-time champion. He did whatever. Double Tried to go three-time champion, you know what I mean? He's been pushing highlight reels, you know, like, Definitely part of the growth of like one in its recent years, online as well, right? Yeah. So for him to get like, I think it was a pretty good, pretty good new contract. Nice. Perfect, right? Yeah. Perfect. I think, I think the narrative now for one is like, also like Stamp and, and Rotec. I don't know if you saw, right? They they now have disclosed that they're gonna make ten million baht. Uh, was it ten million baht? Something like that. That's so close to three hundred grand. Wow. Yeah. So that Rotec's confirmed. I think Stamp just came out and say like said that I think the numbers may plus or minus, but yeah. I think that's that's pretty much set. That's so, so great. Huge, man. right? In yeah. Asia, right? Imagine, bro, back in the day when I first started fighting, I what was your for peanuts, man. Yeah. My first fight I got paid five hundred dollars. My yeah. first pro fight. I got paid I got paid more, but not yeah. much more, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well I mean my first fight I didn't get paid shit. So exactly amateur fight you don't get paid anything. Yeah, I got paid at all. Just get yeah. free brain damage. That's yeah. all you're getting when you fight amateur. Bruised everywhere. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to go back. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about your pro or your amateur debut, you talked about like kind of the fear of the, mm -hmm. like when you're in the situation, you're like, oh yeah. shit. 
and then you had your pro debut. Which one were, did you get like more stress and anxiety for? And then like, yeah, I love it when fighters like describe honestly like the feeling before a fight because so many when you watch it on TV you don't really understand that like mm -hmm. the fear the emotion the nerves the mm -hmm. anxiety the fear of failure yeah all that kind of shit so I'm curious of like what your experience was like the difference there between your first actual ever fight mm -hmm. and your first professional fight you know I would <clears throat> my professional debut is like it's really special to me because like man i've always been a fan of the sport right like mma kickboxing k1 especially used to watch like k1 highlights andy sour like Bokau, all these guys right and then um my first ever professional fight on the card was shinya oki melvin manhoff and then who else was there a couple of big guys on the card right and another pancreas champ and this was my first introduction into like the professional scene, right? That's finding yeah. the Singaporean guy in Singapore named Bruce Lowe. Didn't you soccer kick him? So, yeah, so I, I, <laughs> I got to win the fight by in like 30 seconds, which that, thankfully I won. Was that the right? check hook soccer kick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thankfully I that won. Was that was a dope knockout, dude. Yeah. He just went bang, check hook, and then as soon as yeah. he went down, boom, that's back when you could I've punt. never <laughs> practiced that in my life. Really? In my life. Your reaction time was Fast, spot on. Yeah, I mean. I've always had a good reaction. I think that's what saved me. <laughs> From that fight, because that's probably the only ever check hook soccer kick in I, MMA history. Like just, that particular combination, I don't think I've ever. You dropped him with that check hook, step right up, one step, yeah, bang, yeah. punt to the head. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the OG days when you could still mm -hmm. soccer kick. I'm so glad they took it up because you have two soccer kick knockouts. I, I have uh, two, both the same check hook soccer kick. That's insane. But yeah, I'm not so happy they took it up because like my. <laughs> What a great combo. That shit was coming back for sure. Someone's going oh, yeah, to yeah. me someday. You know they giveth and it taketh. <laughs> you know, the soccer kick. <laughs> yeah, but they, they took it out, man. But, um, so, yeah, the on the fear thing. Yeah, to be honest, my pro debut was, the, I was almost like, a, wow, you know what I mean? It felt like a dream to me, right? Yeah. Like, with the whole process of it was, I had no concept of, of what a show was going to feel like, what what a stadium with 10,000 people would feel like. I mean, bro, and I the contrast no... from the gym with the Kung Fu guy mm -hmm. who's being a dick mm -hmm. to like one championship in the indoor stadium. Being treated like a star getting picked up at the airport with my, with my corner man, my team, and then like having like a photo shoots, video shoots, media day, like interviews, like, bro, what the fuck is this? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I actually came from Kung Fu guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To this. And then so for me, it was like, whoa, you know what I mean? It was cool signing posters and all that stuff. So that alleviated a little bit of the fear because it was just cool. I was just in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I was in the moment, having to walk out and then like the opening ceremony, like, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. all, it was just like so much thrown at me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, bro, I was kind of overwhelmed. Sensory overload. Overload. Right? That's hundred percent what it is. And then got to like cut weight with like Melvin Manhoff and all these guys, right? Oh yeah. That's my first time ever cutting weight, right? And still to this day I remember, bro. I have no concept of nutrition at that point. Yeah. I didn't I went to Thailand for a camp, didn't eat carbs for three weeks. Oof. Felt terrible. Yeah. Makes sense now, right? Why did I feel terrible, right? Because I was in shape and I was training so much. No carbohydrates also. No, no, no carbohydrates. My glycogen stores are probably zero, bro. I wasn't even eating fruit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I no sugars were probably like, Zero, right? But I was dying, bro. It was terrible. I was getting beat up at the gym. I remember sitting like in the room after, because like, I thought it was the guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh yeah, you know I trained in Malaysia. You know I feel good. I beat up some some guys and local guys. But when I get got to Thailand, it was like all the American guys, the Russian guys, and um, European guys, and I got beat up. You know? Yeah. First week of camp, I remember sitting at the at the end of the camp, looking into this mirror at the gym, like damn. Do I really want to do this? You know yeah. what I mean? Can I really do this? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, people don't understand the mindset of like a young professional fighter because you're not that good yet, but you're mm -hmm. trying to be. Mm -hmm. So there's a psychological thing that happens because when you're a young fighter, you're really hungry and you, you put in the work, but you're losing so much in the gym yeah, yeah. that you don't really have a good concept of like where you stand relative to your mm -hmm. opponent because mm -hmm. you're still new. Yeah. Like, so all of the other older pro fighters are kicking your ass every day. Yeah. And then, so you're losing most of your matches against the good people in the yeah. gym. And then you got to go and fight you're somebody you think you're better. Yeah, exactly. You think you're better than them, even though by experience you're getting your ass whooped by everybody. And you it's just have crazy, to. Dude. Isn't that a crazy psychological it's thing? It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, when you get really good, you know. Because yeah, once you start yeah, to become a top dude in the gym, and then you start beating those people, yeah. and then you're. And then you're like, okay, now I'm getting some confidence because my skills are getting good. Yeah. yeah. But that first bit, when you get develop the development of the skills, that part sucks. It's like jujitsu, man. When you first start jujitsu, you're a white belt, bro. You used to get fucked up every day. Like, yeah. why the fuck would I continue doing this? Exactly. Right? But then you get better, and yeah. then you find your flow, and you find your little game that you like. Then it becomes fun, right? And it, and it but it takes like six months at least before you yeah, start yeah. having like it, any it's, success. That's why like fighting is so good for the ego. I mean, some people obviously are pieces of shit, like there's a hunk but most. Most of the time, like when you go into like martial arts, you fight any type of like combat sport, right? It humbles you because there's always some guy bigger and better. You know what I mean? And getting your ass whooped is a humbling, hundred percent, humbling and, and thing. To, to come back, to come back yeah. from that every day. Yeah, every with a smile day. on your face. Yeah, you know, with a good, with a good attitude, right? Exactly. That that's been hard, and I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, the fear. I, the like, fear. Wait, right. So you're stepping so, yeah. into the fight. There. Like, tell me what, what's going through your head there. Tired, cutting weight, and yeah. luckily I made it. I, I did the wrong thing, bringing recovering. Obviously, I didn't know. I smashed like a steak and a pasta after. Feel bloated as shit. Couldn't walk. <laughs> the yeah. first time in my life, bro, I couldn't yeah. walk from eating so much. You, you're really I, like, oh, this is bad. This is bad, right? Yeah. Bro, I literally had to hold on to my dad and like. I did the same thing my pro debut. Same yeah. exact thing. Ate so much that I literally thought couldn't I might walk. have to go force myself to throw up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was at that point where do I just throw up now and feel better? <laughs> that's the eating disorder. But then in my head, like, like, in my head, like, but if I throw up, then I'm lighter. <laughs> yeah, that's sick. What is <laughs> a like, sick nah. mentality to have? Bro. <laughs> yeah, I need all the fucking steak weight I can get. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, bro. Fuck, it's terrible. Right? So you say, so you don't, don't feel do great. That. I don't feel great. But the but next there's day, there's this spectacle that's mm -hmm. happening around you. I remember fight day, right? Get there, right? It's it's fight day. I have like sponsor shirts. I have my Malaysian flag. You know, I'm repping Malaysia. And I walk out. And I just hear like this roar, right? And I'm, and I'm smiling, man. Right? I'm laughing like, oh shit, this is cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't know if there's a video of me like walking out. I'm just having the biggest smile on my face, right? Because like, oh man, this is cool. This is, this is real, you know. <laughs> and I walk out there, and they lock the door, and I see this dude across from me. He's looking, he's looking big, he's looking strong. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit. When did the nerves kick in for you? It's like right before you walk out? Before you walk out, and I think right before they lock that, right before they announce your name. Yeah, while well, you're just waiting there. While you're waiting there, you're pacing, right? Yeah. And then they, they say Some your name, there. and then you're, that you're locked in, right? I think that, that that's the moment for me. When you walk out, yeah, you're locked in. Yeah. But the pacing part before before the fight, a little bit nervous, right? Because yeah. you, now you see the guy in front of you, you're sizing him up, you know what he's doing because you've done the work, you know what I mean? You know yeah. what he's good at, but now it's like how, yeah. how, who gets to implement their game, right? Who gets to get off their game, right? And sometimes it's not even about that, man. Sometimes it's about who's feeling better that night, right? Because yeah. so many times where there's better guys, but say they have off day, say they yeah. have food poisoning, you know And there's I mean? physical things, there's psychological things Yeah, exactly, things you got some shit happening at home, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. bro, how do you lock that out and go, right? <clears throat> so, lock the cage and boom, I was there. And I remember... Um, Once the fight starts, the, the nerves are kind of gone because you're gone, so gone. present. Yeah, you have, to, you have to be... 
I tell people all the time, right? You gotta have like an alter ego when you fight. Totally. It's so important to have yeah. that because like absolutely when you when you me and you now we're chill, you're chilling, right? We're cruising. Yeah. We're not doing like we're chilling, having a good time, having a great conversation. Nothing, right? But when you fight, you have to bring out that like I'm here to hurt you. You yeah. know, you have to have that. You have you, to emotionally detach yeah. from the situation. Yeah, it's like oh, you why are you trying to hurt? Me? I'm not. This is yeah. the objective of this sport, and yeah. I'm trying to win. You know what I mean? I will work within the boundaries of the sport. But the goal is for me to knock you out, for yeah. me to submit you, for me to win, right? And I'm good at that, right? And I need to have that, or else you're gonna do it to me, right? Yeah. It's exactly. who gets who gets that first, right? Who lines it up? Who gets the angle? Who who gets to take down? Who gets submission? It's the same, right? So I remember, I think I I start out I feel I feel good, right? I feel light, and I hit him with like a couple shots. I feel him good, and he comes back and he like he lands like one one punch and one body kick. It's like oh, that hurt a little bit, right? But then yeah, I think he, that gave him a confidence to step in too hard. I think because he was like, ah, oh, you know, this young kid, like yeah. 10 years old, guy. Dude. He was like teaching the army combat at the time or whatever. Bro, steps in too hard, and I got a good check. Check the angle, bang, check yeah, off. I check him, and then he goes down. And I wasn't even like thinking about it, like kicking him, and stuff. Yeah, and what was that feeling like? Like soccer kicking another human <laughs> in front of like I, not, uh, ten thousand people. For me, it wasn't even like the the shot itself, but it was the fight ending. Yes, yeah. the relief. The relief, right? Yeah. Because for me, like you gotta remember, like I left school. I told my mom, look, it gave me two years. If I'm not good at this, I'll go back to school, right? But let me try, right? And she couldn't really do anything at the point because I was already paying for school and I was like working, you know what I mean? But like, I obviously want to keep my mom happy, right? Wanna like, <clears throat> you always wanna keep your mom happy, right? Yeah. And I said, look, I'm 19 years old now. I'm gonna fight for two years. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back to school at 21. Fair, Yeah. good deal. And then I probably worked so hard. Me and my brother trained, I remember, because we were 18, 19 in time, you could do that, right? It's sustainable. We trained Monday to Sunday. Yeah. Twice a day, Monday to Sunday. Really Sometimes first, three times a day. It's really the first, and that's the thing that a lot of people maybe not maybe don't understand, is that's the first time really within Southeast Asia that you can like actually pursue a professional mm -hmm. career in mixed martial arts. Yeah. I mean, you're literally the, I mean, one is the only sustainable option. It's the only game in town back then. Like mm -hmm. there's, otherwise you're just fighting on regional little mm -hmm. shows here and there for a yeah. little bit of money, but an actual like, career path mm -hmm. coming out of Southeast Asia, coming out of Malaysia, it was literally never even possible. That's what I mean with the pioneer thing. Mm -hmm. It's true. So when you and your brother are 19 years old and doing that in Malaysia and then one just starts, it's like a pretty incredible story because for yeah. the first time ever in this region, it's possible. Mm -hmm. well, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And I, that was my goal because I saw one popping up, right? And I saw these people that were fighting in one at the time and I, I believe that I could do better. And it must have been a huge weight off your shoulders, actually, to get get the win and, and now think, okay, we, we got something here. Now I can actually pursue this. You prove, must have proved something to yourself that like we can do this now. Mm -hmm. uh, I always see it as the door opening. Yeah. Like, if you want to do things, you got to go and open doors, right? You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the same now, right? With opportunities and whatever you want, like, close mouth don't get fed, right? You got to go in and open the doors. And for me, I had to win that fight. Look, my my trajectory, my direction in life could have been so different, right? If I lost that fight, imagine yeah. I came one in, wrong move. Yeah, imagine you kicked me in the head, and then yeah. I was done. Bro, I wouldn't ever got another fight one. What would I do? I fight a couple of regional shows. You might not even be here sitting in this might hotel not even be today. Here. Yeah, I might not even be here. Maybe I would have gone back to school. Right? Who knows? But it was also like the trust in the gamble, right? Yeah. I'm not a big gambler, but I'm gamble on this, you know? Yeah. Because like I, I I know I put in the work to be as physically and mentally possible as as I can yeah. to get there and, 
It wasn't. I wasn't nervous. The first one was way more nervous. Also because I fought thirty seconds. Yeah. The other one I fought like uh, nine minutes. I think. So you were more nervous in your first ever fight than you were than my professional debut. I tell the story all the time on the podcast. I mean, I was so so scared for my pro debut that I literally got like a fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. Like I I got. I started thinking like, oh, I can go in the bathroom and crawl out the window if I need to. Uh, Like I'll like uh, like I can just get new friends. I can just find a new like get a new wife. I'll just move away, change my name, like. I, yeah. The window's well, right there. Definitely, bro. I've been there. I've been there. So many <laughs> Isn't things. it crazy with the psychological things that yeah. you start when you're in that, when the nerves start kicking in and you're warming up in the background, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh shit, there's something surreal yeah. that happens, like almost kind of like out of body. Yeah, man. It's weird, right? You only get that from fighting because mm-hmm. the consequences are so severe. So severe. That when you step in there, you really do feel like, I cannot believe this is about to fucking happen, right? Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're like, when you're. When you're more experienced, right, and you're teaching now, you're teaching other people, like, the way you fight is also a representation of, like, your skills, right? And it's not necessarily so because some guys are great fighters, some guys are great coaches, some guys are just great at running classes, right? But it's not a true representation of what you do, but there is still that pressure. Yeah, for sure. Of, like, all people that I know and care about will see me fight, and if I lose, they're going to think, yeah. I have no worth, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's I been, suck. Yeah. yeah, that's been the biggest thing for me, man. When I stopped, when I got that suspension, I was 20, 25 years old. I was offered to fight for the belt. Um, after I beat the Japanese guy, but I didn't take the fight because at that time I, I thought I had more time, you know what I mean? And yeah. I obviously didn't think I was going to get um, medically suspended, right? Mm. So I was like, you know what? I was supposed to fight Adriano in, in Beijing. They offered me to fight for the belt after I beat this Japanese guy, but they didn't want to pay me more. I was like, man, I've, I've fought so long, so hard to get here. Since I was 19 years old, I had like, contracts that I fought out of and renegotiated into better contracts. Yeah. Got here now, you know, I've done the work. I want to get paid more. I was like, nah, if you don't take in 24 hours, and find someone else. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, you know. So I have more time, because you know what I mean? Like, I didn't think that I would be suspended. But, yeah, it was that, that, that for me. And then I, had to, I got to fight Reese in, in Malaysia. And then... After I got suspended. So for me, like my, my whole identity and worth was always around fighting, right? I was always the, the fighter, right? But I also hated it at the same time because when, when I when I did this uh, shoot, I remember I had to wear a suit, right? But um, it was a black weight of a suit, you know? Yeah. And I, my tie wasn't even straight. It's like, hey, do I, want to, do I should I fix my tie? And this lady goes, oh, no, you're just a fighter. Oh. I said, mm. Yeah, you mean, no, I'm not. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is just what, part one part of what I do. I yeah. think now... Especially I got the opportunity. Obviously, I love fighting. I have a lot of experience in fighting. But I wanted to do more outside of fighting. You know what I mean? Like, a commentary is, like, not what I do. It's one part of what I do. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, coaching is not what I do. It's one part of what I do. You know what I mean? Like, so, like you said, right? Now I have, like, more options and uh, freedom to do what I want to do. And I want to do more of that. But it was hard for, for me to to get past that this is who I am and this is all I'm worth is fighting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the problem is, is it, t- it takes such a great amount of focus and effort to get your skill level as a professional fighter to such a high level that you can sustain it as a profession, mm-hmm. right? Like if you actually want to compete and want and like go for a run mm-hmm. to try to fight for the belt, it just takes so much of your time and of your energy that very often people can put so much of their identity into that one thing that they find it hard to do yeah. some of those other things and diversify their skill set. But you have to. You have to. You have to nowadays. Because like, eventually, it's a young man's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, when you hit your mid-30s, 
Forty is at the that's latest. The peak. Yeah, that's the peak. You're, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, once you re- start inching toward forty, the, the clocks run out. Well, guess what? I mean, that's half your life if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what true. are you going to do for the rest of it? It's true. And the fact that you're now, you got, yeah, own a gym, fucking do the commentary, fight if you want, coach if you want, as many things as you can do that you think are cool and worth your time. That's yeah. living the dream. Hundred percent. It's just do cool shit. Yeah, hundred percent. Get good at it and do it. You know, as much yeah. as you can do. Oos. Let's go. <laughs> Okay, we're back, everybody. We just had to check on the time because both of the phones are, are, are recording. So, uh, yeah, so you mentioned you're opening up a new gym. And have you heard anything? I mentioned this on the last podcast that we have about, like, Lumpini. This is going to be a long-term thing, right? Yeah. They're going to yep. keep doing this and keep these shows coming mm-hmm. out and keep these I shows. think, yeah, I think at the moment it's been such a good, like you said, right, like, uh, in terms of like, striking combat sports product, it's, it's insane. It's been, every week has been consistently... Crazy. The fights have been like dramatic. You know what yeah. I mean? The dramatic. The stakes are insane. Who's your and favorite? Hungry. Who's your favorite uh, fighter right now? Like, like when you're sitting fights? there, like who's your like? Oh shit! I mean, you see, you see now all of them. Yeah. You've seen a lot of the guys. If you're like, who do you get most excited to call? That's a good question. There's so many good guys, man. Um, Yod Pupa. Yeah. Yod Pupa is, a, is he's he's a beast. He's a cracker. Every time he fights, he goes out there. He's swinging. In terms of like females, who's been the standout? That uh, Hong Kong girl. Yeah, Yu Yao Pui. Yeah, Yu Yao Pui. She she puts volume on people she's like I've never insane, seen. She does not right? stop punching. Good body shots. Yeah, she's insane. But Pajija, yeah, was incredible on the way to that contract. Lisa Riley, man, she was looking really good too until uh, that Long M was able to knock her out in the last one. I don't yeah. know. Were you there? You were there. I, right? I don't know if I was at that one, but yeah, but. Somebody good, somebody good. Sexon, I mean, yeah, Sexon, yeah, for sure, right? Sexon broke, burned the house down. In every the last single fight, time dude. he fights, man. Every single time he fights. I mean, Lupini, I've never seen it that loud. Every time he would like dive yeah, in and throw yeah, a knee, yeah. the whole crowd would be like, "Oh yeah!" It's, like, I love everybody. It, I love it was it. mental. There's yeah, some so, wars too, man. There's just been yeah. some absolute wars. So many, so many comebacks for as well. I've been yeah. like, bro, this, it's insane, man. What was the fight last week where there was like uh, three knockdowns in a round? Like one guy knocked the other guy down, and the other guy came back and knocked him down twice. It was like, I can't remember. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. As Rambong. Oh yes, yes, Rambong yes. Rambong and who did he fight? I can't that, remember. That's exactly what it was. You're putting us on the spot, but yeah, yeah. You was... know, you know why, bro? Because I we do shows every week, right? I've done 20, 22, 23 shows now up to this point, like in a couple months. <laughs> in a couple months, right? So the the, the name is like yeah. I should know, but bro, this I'm from. Always being bombed by new guys and new names. Like I feel bad sometimes that I don't remember the names. But what are like the challenges of doing the commentary every week like this? Try, getting these new guys in because you guys do a great job of sort of educating the audience on mm-hmm. who these people are. Yeah, you have great backstories. I mean, like, yeah. what are the challenges that, of the job? That was a uh, because we always have a uh, in the beginning, right? There's been a couple. Of, I don't know if you guys actually get to like identify it when you're watching the show. In the beginning, it was a uh, a push for how Lumpini is. The Mecca of martial arts, Lumpini is the Madison Square Garden of the East, right? We were trying to push that narrative. And then after that, it was pushing um, One Friday Fights as a platform for up and coming emerging fighters to win that 100,000 US dollar contract into one championship, right? And now the narrative has been look, let's push more of their stories and their backgrounds, right? Trying to make them um, identifiable, right? trying to make them relatable, like heroes, right? Like, um, yeah. like, like The Voice, for example, when um, you hear about 
a very emotional story. You identify to that guy, right? You remember, oh, that's the dude with that story, right? You're telling the story. Cre- telling the story, the character. Right? So that was what we had a big call with Chatri, uh, Bo, Mitch, Achilles, Melvin, all, 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 the, all the production guys, right? And um, talked about, look, we have to push more the stories instead of the bonuses and the contracts. Yeah. So that's that's been a big push for... for and I think that's why the show always gets better, right? Because you're always looking at... The, the guys at the top are always looking at, hey, how do we make this product better? How do we engage more people, right? Because like you said, fighting is fun. But to have a hero, you need to continually tell the story, right? To make them relatable, to make them somebody that you want to support and continue supporting. Like, oh, this guy's fighting this week. Superlex fighting this week. Oh, what is the story? Like, oh, his mom used to be... You know, work uh, as a as a nurse or as a cleaner. Now, like through fighting, he's been able to buy her a house, retire her. You know what I mean? It's like, damn, yeah. really? You know, now we get to tell that story with the, the, this platform. So I think, yeah, that's why like always like we're always being pushed to to do better. And I think that's what it is as well. Like there's this big meeting we do the post show meetings where you're part of as well after the, after the, the judging and after the show. We stand back there with the crew and they're like, hey, look. You gotta remember, man. As these shows go on, we gotta continually try to get better each week, right? You can't get complacent, yeah. Because that's when it goes down. Because you're comfortable, and somebody hungrier, somebody that wants to do it better, has more money, or, or you know what I mean. Like, we'll, we'll come in and try to like push you off. Yeah, that's when you get comfortable, right? But if you're always trying to get better, 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 it can never catch up. And I think the the, the thing the the thing that makes Lupini so special to me, at least, is I mean, honestly. As much as I love watching the fights, I love to sit outside sometimes when I'm like eating a, eating or whatever, and, uh, when there's a fight going on, I go outside, eat for 20 minutes, is to listen to the commentary of it live because, you know, I mentioned this again, I, I just can't stop talking about the importance of it. I mean, the, the stories that you're telling, the fact that you're creating these sort of superheroes and telling the story of these ties that have like hundreds of fights and have fought their way out of poverty and yeah. the fact that there's a narrative that we can hear in good in english mm-hmm. that's got really good production quality is so good for these tie fighters that has just had all these wars and all these epic fights and for the first time really it's globally accessible to people who speak english mm-hmm. and as you get to like one lupini 50 one lupini yeah, 100 yeah. these stories will have started to circulate and mm-hmm. more and more people are going to be seen mm-hmm. over and over and over again and that's going to help with the marketing of the people and really eventually down the line maybe even if you even think like 10 years of like following an nba model or an nfl model of like will this be a viable path as a professional form of athletics you know can one lumpini pay eventually down the road like what nba players get more money more opportunity bigger name you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and once you have that because you can find some old stuff like if you do your youtube research you can like find some uh, fighters from like the 70s and the golden era of Muay Thai, some yeah. of the 80s fighters, the ones that, that made it through that people know about, mm-hmm. but only the Muay Thai nerds know about, right? They did the research, they told the story. Because they're really deep into the hole and they're fanboys. Mm-hmm. But as it starts to get more and more global, like people know who Rotang are, they probably don't know anything, but it's because it's a new mm-hmm. new thing happening. He's starting to permeate into the, like the zeitgeist a little bit. And as it continues to happen, who knows, man? Maybe a proper professional league where people can do this for a living and make good life-changing money when before it had just been, you know, it's like by the time the, the older ties would retire, it's like how long could they last with just that money? They have yeah. to do other things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. But I think that's what's special about this show, right? This show is that platform. Yeah. To get into one championship. When you get into one championship, it's not going to be easy. 
if you look at the Super Series and World Championships, kickboxing and Muay Thai, it is literally bro, the best of the best. Yeah. You have, unless you're, you're a guy coming in, you're a world champion level, you're a killer, bro, you don't, you don't want to be there, really, because They're so good. it's too deep, that pool. Yeah. And you're not going to be successful unless you develop that world championship level skill, right? Because, yeah. bro, it is ruthless. Right? The, the, the level is so high, right? Look but, at Giorgio Petrosian. Exactly, I mean, right? Jesus Christ. Bro, best in the world. Super Bowl and head kicked him kicked into him a in the head, Yeah. But that's, on the flip side, the opportunity is so big to, yeah. to, to change your life, right? Super Bowl and just opened his own gym. He's flying all over the world. Super Lake just did a US tour, Rock Tank. It's a million followers, getting paid 300 grand hour fight. Yeah. Bro, all these guys. Taiwan Chai. Taiwan Chai as well, bro. He's always on TV, bro. Yeah. Walking around, you know what I mean? Like, people line up, take pictures of him. That is what you can have if you get into one championship and you'd be successful, right? Obviously, that's like the top 5%, but still, there is an, a pathway and there's an opportunity. The door's there. Yeah. You got to kick that door down, right? But also, this is the one platform. Also, it's becoming cool. I noticed this, and I think I talked to Timo or, or Rob about this because Rob's got all the stories about the mm -hmm. old school Lumpini Stadium and everything. Yeah. And uh, he was he and I were talking, and he was like, at the old Lumpini before one came in, the people that were in the audience were like the uncles, right? <laughs> it's the uncles, and it's the it's aunties, true. and it's the gamblers, yeah. and it's like the older guys in their forties, and they're smoking and they're gambling on the side, and yeah. it's just whatever, right? And then that's how they would make the money on the gambling. But now, when you go to like a one Lumpini show, like there's supermodels in there. Yeah, Some of these yeah. girls are so hot. I'm just yeah. like, oh my God. <laughs> right? You see like Rotang sitting there. You yeah. see a young audience. It, it, it's becoming hip. It's becoming cool. It's not, I mean, no disrespect to the aunties and uncles out there yeah, who yeah. love them some Muay Thai. But like when you're in the building, you can feel that like, oh, this is a, this is cool. Yeah. This is cool. You see beautiful people, celebrities mm -hmm. there. Like everybody's just screaming when the fights are on. It's got a... It's got like a hip new thing kind of energy to it, which you need. Yeah. Right? It's got that cool vibe to it. Yeah. But it's also because of the work that the one championship, one Lumpini puts in, right? Like this is their champions. This is them outside of fighting, right? They make the photo shoots, the magazine, whatever, right? You make it cool where like, why would you want to be a fighter? You know what I mean? Because you want to have that. I was, I'm wearing the one Lumpini shirt if you're just listening to the audio <laughs> and it was the hardest shirt to get that I've ever had in my entire life So I bought like four of them. Did you actually come on man? Yeah, I had to get some for the wife. I had to get some for some friends So I ended up buying like four of them, uh, but you were just saying you got a message from the panda mm -hmm. man Yeah, Jingnan man, me what and Jingnan, we're super close. She's super an close. animal man. She's so good man. She's a beast. Obviously Was she not eight time? Yeah. Eight time, one strawberry world champion. She's a big man to this day. Like I always tell people, she's like the most. She got so much grit, so much determination. The resolve in her is like nothing. Like no I've quit. Ever seen, bro. Like no nothing quit like I've all. ever seen. Like and, and she carries that in training as well. Like she's she's someone that taught me a lot. She gave me like my first opportunity working with a world champion. Like I got to help her out with like a, I think three or four, three or four camps. All the Angela Angela Lee fights. You're training her. We were training her, she flew me to Shanghai, she flew me to Singapore to train her, which was which was cool, man. And it also gave me like a lot of confidence early on, like right after fighting to to coach. 
Yeah. Because I got the trust of these people, right? Because that's what all coaching is, right? You have a great reputation as a coach, by the way. Thank you, man. Because the word gets around. It's a pretty small community. And as a coach, you you have a great reputation. Appreciate it, man. But I learned learned from a lot of good people. Like my boy, Matty P. Matty P. uh, Matt Polino. Matt Polino. Great coach, man. He's a good coach. He's a wild motherfucker. I love that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Go watch some of my podcasts with Polino if you want to be entertained. Polino is is the man. He's my boy, man. (laughs) He's a real one. He is. He's a real one. He is. At the end of the day. about that, dude. Yeah, exactly, right? He's going to tell you how it is. And I love him. I love him. Me and him had some had some journeys, man. He used to be, uh, he used to help me out in the beginning of my career. He, um, I did a couple of caps with him. He was like helping us wrestling and uh, striking as well. Like, basically, had MMA coach. Um, a bunch of fights where I was cutting to fifty-seven kilos. He would be in the sauna with me. Yeah. Soldier, right? Yeah. At that time, bro, I was cutting to fifty-seven. It was painful. That's a brutal cut. I was talking about in the sauna. Well, fifty-seven is what like my wife weighs. Mm, terrible. She's like terrible. fifty-five or whatever. I don't know why, but anyways, <laughs> that's crazy. It, it, was, it was tough. How man. much would you cut? It was like it was like deep dark moments where you like fighting oh, yeah. demons, right? Like that 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 was how how it was. Oh yeah, the worst um, part of the weight cut is worse than the worst part of the fight. Oh, 100%. Usually, usually. I also kind of enjoyed it though because it was almost like meditation. Yeah. Because when you're in the hot tub, you got to control your breath. So you don't fucking freak out. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like the sauna. You can almost freak right? out if you're not keeping yeah, your shit together. Yeah. So I, bro, like with Polino, like there's, I'm not talking about in and out of sauna. In sauna, the duration of me inside sauna, four hours. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's so brutal. Terrible. It was painful. Like dangerous, also. But dangerous, right? Your head's burning. You're fucking like, in and out. You dry. Headache. Yeah. Because you're dehydrated. It's it's tough, man. But I felt good. I felt good the day of the fight. So yeah. I continued doing it and. And then now, obviously, before I before I start fighting, one implemented the hydration testing, which I I, I really felt like is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can still you can still find ways around it, but in terms of like, that's how everyone should be, man. If you well, walk around saying weight, bro, fight that way. There's these nerds online who are like, oh, it's got these problems and it's got these problems and this is happening and this is it's like okay, well, what's a better solution? Yeah. Because you have some of these people that complain about the hydration. Oh, the hydration test is this, and you can cheat the hydration test, and you can cheat any test. Yeah, it's true. It's like, but you have to do something. Mm-hmm. It's you gotta like, try. The UFC's not doing shit. Yeah. I not. mean, people are, like, dying on the scales, mm-hmm. and nobody gives a shit. At least, like, one is trying something. The other day, what, what, was it Aspen Lad was, like, yeah. like, shaking on the on the, on the the scale. Like, bro, how are you going to fight the next day, bro? You shouldn't even be cleared to fight if you could not walk. I mean, there have been people that have passed out. And fought the next day. Yeah. That yeah. is insane. That yeah. is so crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> We're going to Matty P. He's, a, he's in the sauna with me the whole time. Yeah. He's a soldier, man. He's a soldier. I love I love Matty P. And I'm so happy with what he's doing now. Fox Gloves. He's become like such yeah. a great coach. He's like, in moving Singapore to America, with me. Working, yeah. yeah, in Singapore with you. Worked at Syndicate. And helped a bunch of guys there. UFC guys. Um, he's a man. What I love about Polina, too, is he's a fanboy. He loves I, you know, one MMA fanboy knows one, and they find another MMA yeah. fanboy. Because I can talk to him about some of the most obscure fights from ten years ago, and he yeah. knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and you can go real deep. Yeah. We've done like two, three hour podcast, and we're literally just talking about MMA fights. the entire time. Yeah, he's the man. Though. Right. So he's got real deep, deep knowledge, and is a huge fan of the sport, and obviously, like us, mm-hmm. put all of his chips in on doing this as a living. Mm-hmm. Right. Wasn't easy, man. It wasn't easy for him as well. Being like the first, he's so young when he got here. And to, to get to where he is now, obviously, took a lot of courage and um, trust in yourself and, and skill. Obviously. It's interesting watching all of you guys. I mean, like mm. that whole, I mean, obviously you and your brother Keanu coming out of there, Polino, Ev Ting, fucking Tebin is a goddamn movie star. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, yeah. and it's like to see it's where cool. everybody's cool. going. Yeah. Tebin's the man. He's I saw man. him in Singapore. He came to Singapore. He's the man. We had lunch uh, and had a few beers. 
The, guy, the fucking guy, the waiter at the bar recognized him. Yeah? Yeah, he's like, oh, you're Teeban from whatever movie. Yeah, was. yeah, he's so, killing him, man. Teeban's the man. I'm so happy for him. Yeah, so if you don't know, listen to Teeban, uh, Govind Asami is like, a, he used to train yeah, at yeah. Clinch and with all of us, and then he became a movie star yeah, all I of a sudden, and he was filming in Singapore when he was there. He, I, I was he's so him. nice. So good, dude. Great karate, super strong. He hits like a fucking truck, too. Super strong, yeah. He just, he's, he's spinning back, hit me once in the liver, and I really thought I was going to shit myself. <laughs> I'm not joking. Every, you know how everything tightens up? Yeah. Like, oh! And you're just like, oh, I'm about to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about to embarrass myself here on these mats. He's good, man. I, I, obviously, like, his career and now being a movie star is, is taking off for him. and so happy for him. But I always like to see, like, man, if you like, would have put some time and energy into it, like, where he would have gone, you know what I mean? He, yeah. At the time, like, he won the Mima belt, you know, he had some karate, and he was tough, he was explosive, but who knows, man, but life takes I told him to keep directions. training. Yeah, I was keep like, training. dude, you gotta keep, keep training. training. He came in, and he was supposed to train, but his, he was gonna come train at the gym. He told me that when this, his first training session back, whatever coach he trained with in Malaysia, he got injured. Oh, like, no. immediately on, like, the first day, they were having him do some crazy yeah. explosive drill, and he immediately got hurt on, like, yeah. the first day. Yeah. I think he said it was even by the coach. <sighs> And then I was like, dude, you can come to Stronghold. Like, uh, no one's going to hurt you. Like, come go to a good training environment. Make sure you're safe. You got to protect your face. That's the moneymaker. Man, you're, <laughs> you're making, you're making these movies. You know. you know what it is as well? Like, I tell people all the time, man. Like, that's how, like, injuries happen, right? You're not, you're not a full-time athlete, right? Because even in, like, in high school or junior high, you have uh, plyometric workouts, right? Where you, you, yeah. you, you're prepping your body for explosive movements right you, you're doing all these things where you're getting your body ready for these violent movements but now when you especially when you you can train but you don't have that same change of direction the same explosive right? that's yeah. that's the torque and the tension in the body that hurts you because you're not used to moving at that yeah. speed anymore you're that's not right. you're not in fight anymore yeah your body has to be conditioned to it you have to yeah or you're liable to get injured and also if the environment's not properly controlled yeah exactly and you're that doing like real. these that explosive drills on a and you haven't moved like that in a while yeah i mean it's wrong we have a bunch of doctors and lawyers i mean i'm in like a really nice part of singapore a mm -hmm. super expat community and it's like yeah these people should have every right to come in and train without getting hurt like you you have to do that mm -hmm. i get guys that want to spar they want to do boxing they want to do muay thai but they're a 40 year old doctor with two kids at home like, they can't be coming in and getting fucked up. Yeah, like, yeah, you got to control it. Yeah, and so, you know, in case of Teban, I mean, I hate, I hate those injury stories. I hate them because it pushes people away from training. Yeah. And I was talking to Teban on, he did my podcast way back in the day during COVID, and he was telling me, man, I want to keep training. I want to get back into it. I miss it because I'm a fighter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, you got to re restructure your brain. You got to rethink the, your reward system because now you're doing this acting thing. You're doing this modeling thing. You have to switch your thought process on the skill development, mm. the training, you gotta, you being the student. Because the fighting thing is like, what are you going to do? Go get fucked up right mm. now? You're starting movies, bro. Yeah. But he's like, I want to train. I was like, I feel you, but you got to just start making it about getting better at the yeah. skill. That's that's the hard That's part. what keeps you for life, mm -hmm. not this like short window of like, oh, I'm 26 and want to fight because, yeah, you can fight at 26, mm -hmm. but at 40, at 45, what do you, it has to be the skill development. That has to be what your goal is when you go in there. Yeah. And that's that's been like the biggest biggest shift there in in direction as well because now your your goal is different right you're not it's always the ego like when you go in there especially in jujitsu for example right unless you're like a black belt you understand like what it is right you have these young hungry guys they're trying to go at you a hundred percent like bro like it's not about winning every round right it's about yeah. like trying to it's a journey right that's it's all about skill consistency development. skill development and, and like 
being able to train the day after. Yeah. And the day after and the day after, right? But if you fucking go hard and now you're back stunned for like two months, like, bro, yeah. that's not what you should be doing, right? One of the worst things for your skill development is trying to win every second of every round. Yeah. Because then you're not putting yourself in weird in different positions. You're not developing new techniques. Mm -hmm. Like there's people that only try to win all the time. Those are the people that only play their A game. Because mm -hmm. if they play anything else, they're gonna get exposed. That's true. So you gotta be comfortable putting yourself into bad positions, whether you're doing sparring, whether you're doing jujitsu, whether you're doing everything, mm -hmm. because that's what builds skills, right? And ultimately, if you wanna get good, like, you know, like in the name of our game, why would you go to you as a coach, or me as a coach, or just some random guy as a coach? The currency is, when you choose a gym, I wanna go to a place where my skill will develop the quickest, right? 100%. So it's like, why would I go here, right? Because we've refined everything enough to get you good quick. And part of that becomes the most important thing is that you have that student mentality and you're trying to get better, not trying to win all yeah. the time because yeah. you're not going to win. People got to be starting on your back all the time. People got to be starting with the arm. People got to be starting from the mount. You got to escape these bad positions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you really need to, if you want to do it for life, if you want to keep training in your forties and your fifties, there has to be a goal. And the, the only thing that's going to survive when your body starts to break down is like your desire to get better and develop those skills. I agree. It's the best. When you learn a new move. It's the best. And there's so many moves. Like, there's so many cool things you can learn. Bro, continuously, right? And so many different aspects as well. Like, in jiu-jitsu, you get to, I'm sure you get to a point where, wow, I get I get, I get this period where I'm loving jiu-jitsu, right? And then you get to a period where I'm loving boxing. I get yeah. a period where I'm loving kickboxing. You know, I love Muay Thai. So, that's is what that's what gets people hooked into into martial arts. Because progression and like learning a new skill is... Is the thing that keeps people back, right? Is the thing that keeps people feeling better, right? Because if you're just stagnant in your life, doing the same thing, not getting better at anything, bro, it's pretty depressing, right? But if you go to a gym and now you're learning the skill, and now, well, now I feel like I'm getting better at it. You want to do it again, right? You want to do it again. You do it again. Do it again. And for us, that we've been training so many different martial arts to have different things to to get better at, I think that's it's like a playground, man. For me, like I, I feel like. What is the thing about martial arts MMA that you, you do find so fascinating? Like what, what keeps you coming back? Like, what is the aspect of it that you're just like, fuck, this is awesome? Keeps you coming back, keeps you in the business, keeps you in the industry? Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's, it's the gamble, right? It's, you never know who's going to win, but you always have the opportunity to try. And you have to get, being a fighter, right, is, is your... Your gamble, your risk there. Outside of fighting, you have fighters that you take care of. You helping them get to where they want to go, right? And there's no feeling like it, man. When you put in the work and and you go out there and you fight and you're supposed to, this guy's an animal, a beast. Oh, shit, I don't know if you can beat him. It's 50-50 chance. Maybe 60-40 chance. But you go out there and you beat him, right? There's no feeling like it. Yeah. And you beat this guy at the end, like all your hard work is like validated and, and the work you've done, it works, right? And it's not only for you, right? You get to see the guy that you train or the people that you train now that I'm on the other side like, yeah. you see them like take steps forward right? you get take it vicariously through your students a bit yeah and then more than anything right it helps you become a better person yeah. I think that's at the end of the day right bro martial arts is, is fighting whatever it is bro it's all about being good people right because for me like now like why, why I'm opening up the gym is a big part of it is when I look back at me and my brother right my brother's number one the man right like in terms of like mentally strong people he's probably top of the list of like people i know right for him to come back with multiple injuries and and do what he's done to come leg back break, I mean. broke his leg bro food poisoning and whatever you know what i mean and, yeah. and still fight bro like he's a soldier you know what i mean like that uh, in terms of like oh yeah win wins and losses are great but 
being a true martial art artist and, and, and showing yourself and who you are and determination, grit, all that stuff. Like he's like it builds that character. Like yeah, bro. That, that if you one of the big things, man, I remember was um, when he first broke his leg. He was to come back to fight Sagedao. Just Sagedao. for the listeners to have some context, he had his leg broken in the in he an MMA leg, by yeah. check check kick, just like Weidman and Connor and yeah. that gr- gruesome injury. Just for so the listeners to have some context on what you're talking about. Anyway. Yeah, so he broke his tibia and fibula, right? And he came back 18 months. He had the mask. That's crazy. Crazy, That's right? crazy. But he was in the in the gym 5 a.m. rehab, 5 a.m. rehab, 5 a.m. Yeah. rehab. So he was on it, right? Again, like one of the smartest dudes. You should get him on, actually. One For time. sure. I'd love to talk to you he, he's, Absolutely. Did he fight Tenkai in his first match back? Yeah. So, oh, and that's crazy. Uh, right? Of course, so, Tenkai, people people knew then, but they didn't know how mm-hmm. good he was going to be. To fight Tenkai it in was, his first fight back a, after a leg break is crazy. It was a big learning experience for me and him both because, number one, we were supposed to fight Sagadao. Sagadao is once upon a time the world champion, but all right, take him down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Great fight. And then it's like, oh, now Sagadao has to pull out. There's Tenkai. And to be honest, bro, prime Keanu and a prime Tenkai is a good fight, but I didn't obviously <coughs> account for the fact that my brother just broke his leg. He was looking good in camp. We didn't actually have the best camp. We had limited people, but we did what we could in the COVID, COVID time, right? Yeah. He was in shape, but he went out on the fight. Immediately, I said, bro, let's try not to throw a left leg. Uh-huh. Let's try to use more hands, grapple a little bit more. You right? just didn't want the thought in his head, the, right. that slight yeah. little fear in the back of your head. Exactly. And he comes up and immediately smashes the left kick into the into the body twice. <laughs> and I get it, right? Because when I, when Part I, of it for him might be yeah, like, just get I it over to. with. I, I would probably have done the fucking yeah. same. You know what I mean? You have to. Get it out of your head. Yeah. Fucking just throw one in there. But he says he kicked through a kick and he hit his elbow and broke his leg. First round. Yikes. First time I was pro, pretty competitive, but second and third he was just surviving like it. Yeah. And he, hundred percent thought he broke his leg because after the fight, actually it was some some moment in the second and third round where I look at him and I'm like, bro, I don't know. I was like, bro, you have to continue. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to keep fighting because that's like you talk about, right? All the, all that, the attributes and like mental resolve and all that stuff and translate into life, right? And if you do that in the ring, right, we find a way to, like you said, like there's many moments for us to climb out the window, bro, and fucking yeah. move to another country, right? Just turn your back but a little you, bit. If you, if you, you let know? that happen once, yeah, it slips in. You let you that demon over in. And over and over and over again, bro, you can go back to it. Yeah. But he didn't. He held on. And he went all three rounds. But after the fight, he's like, bro, I broke my leg. And he, he couldn't walk. He was in the wheelchair. He's like, I broke my leg. He's like, so... PTSD, right? Yeah, it's real. For bro, sure. That's, that's your, your... Bro, that's a horrific injury. Horrific, right? And it went back to the hospital. Luckily, nothing was broken, but his bone actually didn't heal. Yeah, that's right? the thing. Like, And also, the answer, like, fuck, I may have broken it again. Yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. for him to come back after that, bro, I'm going into a tent, but my brother, but he's the man, came back for James Yang, yeah. Demetrius Johnson, protege. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought he was going to smoke my brother. My brother took him down, controlled him, dominated on the ground, right? Yeah, I remember that. I was like, yeah, let's go. We got a little bit of momentum. Momentum was back on our side. And then we do the Amir Khan fight. And everyone thought, oh, Amir Khan's going to beat him up. Amir Khan's going to knock him out. Yeah, Amir was ranked fifth at the time as well. Number five and one in the world, in one championship. Mm-hmm. We had a great camp. We didn't have much, bro. At the time, I had just left uh, this business I was with. And I had a falling out. And I was like, fuck it, bro. I got hurt. I will do what I can. So I made a little home gym in my friend's place. Uh, Justin from Rituals. 
was able to lend me some of his mats. We put the mats on the wall, concrete walls, you know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing, bare minimum. But my boy Yusuf Webby, who was a real good coach now, he used to be a professional fighter as well. I fought like well, close to 20 fights. Right? Me and him been all over the world together, like, like being in each other's corners. He helped me with that camp. And we had a great camp, right? With the bare minimum, we were able to go out there and beat Amir, who's yeah. the number five guy. We didn't get number five, which was pretty yeah. fucked up. How do they not rank him after it's that? It's fucked up. I don't want to go into I know. It. I, I think I actually had Polino on the podcast yeah. after that fight because he was in your brother's corner. Yeah. And then we were talking about that. We're like, where the fuck is his ranking? Yeah. I mean, he just beat the number five guy. Who else can slide up there? Yeah. But they, they put the guy that Amir beat down the number five. We're like, whatever, bro. Politics, yeah. right? Whatever. We forget yeah. about it and continue. And then he had to do a back-to-back losses now because, like, food poisoning. One, I couldn't be there for his camp, but... For him to come back from that and and be a true martial artist, that has like been a big example for me and man, a lot of people around him as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That is always like when I go back to like he's my my benchmark. You know what I mean? Like when I when I talk about like ah oh, fuck works hard, but I don't really want to train. This motherfucker wakes up like helps out. Yeah, the restaurant. He'll wake up at six a.m. do the workout, go to the restaurant, finish at like eight eight p.m. go go back to the thing, work out again. It's like bro, like, yeah. I gotta be that. You know what I mean? Like that is the benchmark that I gotta be. Yeah. Now that's so cool that you guys did that together as well. Like you both. Yeah. yeah, yeah what's cool the age way. difference between you guys? Year and a half. So yeah, you're basically the same age, pretty close. You both happen to just share the same passion for the sport. Yeah. You get to do that with your brother. You get to do that with yeah, your boy. Yeah, especially man. It was cool. Like what a what a crazy cool journey to get. To. I mean, that's like kind of the dream. Is like yeah, you get to do this 100%. With, your, with your brother. You get to do it with your friends, your boys. You get to see them like ten years down the line yeah, where everybody's crazy. at. Crazy. What a yeah, what a trip, that's eh? Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I forgot what we were talking about. Going to this huge thing about my brother. No, no, that's cool, bro. Shout out to your brother. I want yeah, to get him on the podcast, the and uh, we got to do it one day when we have a couple of us, like maybe yeah, let's me, go. Keanu, Polino. I could do it with maybe Ahmed and your brother when let's we're go. in Kale or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. So yeah, I'm gonna try to do more of the podcast whenever we're in, in Bangkok because it's such good content. I mean, there's we, li- didn't, we didn't talk about the fights going on today. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit it another time. But basically, you know, tonight, Friday. Yeah, don't forget. Fights. Lumpini's <laughs> tonight and tomorrow. You know what, dude? It's actually better. I like it like this better because sometimes we do the fight breakdowns and the, the, that sort of content gets dated, mm-hmm. right? Because we're only talking about that one fight and then there's yeah, fights the next yeah, week yeah, and there's yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. But when we can talk and tell stories yeah. about our training, about your fight career, about the shows, that, that tends to be more like universal content. You mm-hmm. can look back on that and you're going to get stuff there that's not hyper-specific to the time. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I'm, ha- I'm happy we touched on it, but we didn't go down too far because I want to hear your story. And, yeah. And plus, I know so many of your boys, and we float in the same circles. Yeah. So it's uh, it's cool to be able to do this with you, bro. And uh, let's do it again. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll, I'll stay the next time to Saturday so we can talk about the fights after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to try to get Rob Cox on here and maybe Ooh, Timo. Come on. I like this. I just, I'm a little scared to ask sometimes, right? Because yeah. I'm trying to, like, stay in my lane, but I also know that they'll probably be cool with it. Yeah. Well, they love talking about it. Like I said, we have a whole conversation, 40 minutes with Rob about more time. They love it. And honestly, dude, there's no... When it comes to this kind of content, there's no game in town. Like, this is why I wanted to do this, because I have this podcast. I've had it for years. And, you know, I've talked to the Singaporean people and the coaches within Singapore. But in terms of, like, Lumpini and one, there's nobody that's, like, behind the scenes talking Mm -hmm. to the people putting out, like, really original content, independent media. Yeah, true. There's nothing, especially in a long-form context. So Mm -hmm. I think it's good for them. And I I would love to talk to Timo or whoever and see if I can get a little bit more access to some people. Mm -hmm. So that way the people that... Uh, you see on TV, Dom, you know, any of these guys, Timo, the executives, of course, some of the fight would be great content because there's just nothing like that 
out there, especially long form. You get to hear these people's stories. Those are and, people that are doing the work, too. Yes, the exactly. people, man. Yeah. And they got so many crazy stories. So many, yeah. They've been a part of the game so much, too, from a different perspective. You know what I mean? Fighting is, as you understand, the fight and the training and the process of fighting. But these guys are running the show behind yeah. have crazier stories. Sometimes. And there's so much history yeah, that, that happened in this part of the world. So many legendary fights that nobody knows about. Yeah. So if we can chronicle that and get to talk to all you guys, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Gianni, I better let you go, bro. You yeah, got a long, you yeah. got a long day ahead of you, my man. I do. <laughs> yeah, you you got to put in the work. Everybody, this is the Stronghold Podcast. Gianni Suba in the house. Thank you for doing this, man. You're yeah, on, one half it. of the voice of uh, One Lupini, along with your boy Mitch Chilson. And uh, this has been fucking awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Let's go. I'll try I, to get break Mitch in or something. Yeah, anybody. I'll talk to all of them. Man. <laughs> I, I, I want. I'll even come here if there's no show. I mean, I just. I love this. And I love MMA, like especially having the long conversations. I met. I got this job because I had Bashir on a podcast. That's how I met Bashir. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. So Bashir literally, years down the line, it ended up getting me the the, the judging job because that's when Bashir and I had a long chance to have a conversation. This was like 2015, maybe. Yeah. Something like that, and then six years later, he's like, "Hey." What do you think about uh, coming and being a judge? I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that'd be sick. So getting to have the conversations like this and stuff, it, it's awesome. Yeah, getting come on, here. Man. So everybody, Stronghold Podcast, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Gianni. Yeah, dude. Come on. Fuck, that's fun. I love it. Mm -hmm.